Hello everyone and welcome to the Film Score Podcast. Now it's been a little while since you've been able to hear my voice, but it is good to be back. I'm here with a brief little recap of some of the best and most notable film scores from April through June. And if you're wondering where the next set of composer interviews is, it's coming. I hope to be officially kicking off season two either in late July or early August, depending on when the first couple interviews get recorded. I'm really excited for this second season. I've got a load of great composers lined up already, and as it goes, I'm sure I'm going to get a ton more. It's going to be really exciting. You're going to hear a lot of great familiar voices, as well as a slew of more independent, up-and-coming film composers as well, trying to get that balance. What if my favorite scores that came out this period is Sound of Metal by Abraham Martyr and Nicholas Becker. When watching Sound of Metal, there's maybe 10 minutes of music throughout the entire film, and it's all just like really, really ambient, atmospheric. It kind of reflects the the sound of the main character Ruben's hearing loss slowly degrading. So when I saw that there was a full score release that's about an hour long, I was really surprised. I didn't know how they were able to do it. And it's really cool. It's a mixture of score and sound design where you're getting these ambient atmospheric sounds and noises that are sometimes piercing, sometimes dull, that mimic the slow degradation of Ruben's hearing interspersed with almost like field recording sounds, dialogue snippets that come and go in volume intensity and clarity. And so it really, really encapsulates that journey, and it can get quite uncomfortable at times. One of my other favorite parts of that release is that it has two vocal tracks as well. So one of them is the song that Ruben's band plays in the beginning, and it it was actually performed and written by an extreme experimental musician known as Pharmacon and the drummer of the band Bossa Denage. So they really got some, oh, slightly obscure, at least out of the mainstream musicians, but who also have a, a really strong resume and a lot of credentials in more metal-facing extreme music to write and perform this song. And the album version is really killer. It's really heavy, really punishing, and my single favorite track on that release. Highly recommend checking it out. It's obviously not going to be for most people, especially those hoping for the more traditional type of film music. And really a lot of the scores I'm going to talk about fall outside of that realm. Another score like that is Shiva Baby by Ariel Marx. I'm so happy that this score is only about 20-22 minutes long. And it's not because it's bad, it's because it is so uncomfortable. It is basically endless anxiety from start to finish. And it really just builds in your gut this cacophony of noise and strings, and it twists you into knots. And so it's a welcome relief when it's over, but of course that doesn't stop you from hitting play and starting it over again. And there were actually several really cool experimental horror scores from this period as well. You've got The Power by Gazelle Twin and Max DeWardner, In the Earth by Clint Manzel, Honeydew by John Merman, and Death of Me by Mark Seyfritz. I won't get into each one super in-depth, but 
I've talked about Gazelle Twin before on this show, I've interviewed her, and I think this was a really strong follow-up to her solo film composing debut of Nocturne. Death of Me by Mark Seyfritz was really surprising because it's so heavily reliant on vocalization, a male and female voice singing almost nonsensical or just syllables to one another, basically having a discussion, a conversation, an argument throughout the entirety of the score, and it embodies this couple who are trying to unravel a mystery. And so when you listen, it's almost as if the couple is trying to unravel the mystery in your ears as well. It's really cool. In some ways, it reminds me of Tamarkali's Shirley or Heather Christian's The Craft Legacy, both of which also had a very heavy usage of vocalization, but Mark Seyfritz takes it even further. In the Earth by Clint Manzel, I was really hesitant about the score at first because it was marketed and pushed as Manzel recording plants. And I thought, oh, what a silly gimmick. This is Clint Manzel. He doesn't need a gimmick to push his scores. But fortunately, it isn't. It's an unorthodox technique that sees Manzel getting really, really into the themes and the plot of the film itself and using those to create his score. And it works out really well. Basically, Manzel's plants speak a language of terror. And these alien voices are threatening us and promising annihilation. It lets him tread this line between a synthetic modernity and the organic and the things that come from in the earth. So it's a cool connection between these two very different sonic worlds. One composer that really surprised me in this period is Junkie XL. I've never really been the biggest fan of his music. It's just a style that doesn't really resonate with me, although he's of course really popular, getting both really mainstream films, just huge AAA big budget action films quite often, but also has a very devoted following, tons of listeners, and so after listening to Justice League and Godzilla vs. Kong earlier this year, both scores that I wasn't really that crazy about, when Army of the Dead came out, I thought it'd be really similar, but Army of the Dead actually sees him basically having his most intimate score in a while, and maybe ever. In particular, it's this trilogy of songs right near the beginning of the release. It's called Scott and Kate. There's just this really intimate, emotional, human element. It's sweet and hopeful and longing, and you don't hear that very often in his music. But what's cool, too, is over top, and it's probably an effect layered on, there's a scratching and skipping and imperfections. It's like listening to you know, an old marred vinyl, and it creates this sense of loss or this nostalgia where it's these three songs that are basically the, the memories of a character, and it was just really, really interesting, really fascinating, and it, it hits you on a very deep level. That's something that I've just never heard from him before. Now, unfortunately, I don't think the score itself was very well received from a lot of people, at least as it works in picture, but on the release itself, it works really well, and I hope that he continues this type of style. The Mortal Kombat was a score that released to pretty divided opinions. I've always thought Benjamin Wallfish, the composer of Mortal Kombat, is really good. In, in 2017, I think, he had three scores that he just knocked out of the park. 
The most well-known of those, of course, is going to be Blade Runner 2049, on which you work with Hans Zimmer. And this is someone who, at the top of their game, is able to come up with really, really great music. Problem, to me at least, is that sometimes it just doesn't work. It's not always consistent. And that was my feeling with Mortal Kombat. There's some interesting themes and a decent usage of the traditional Mortal Kombat theme song from the first film back in, when was that, the earlier mid-90s. But I thought a lot of it really just kind of bled together into this whirlwind of impenetrable sound that didn't really grasp me. I don't know why this felt the same, but there were quite a few people who thought it was just exhilarating music. So again, this is where you get into just personal opinion. It's not my style, but I'm glad that it's a style that other people really quite enjoyed. I'm not always the biggest fan of scores for children's films, and frankly I hate using that term because it does make it sound really demeaning, or doesn't quite give it the respect that it deserves. But two that came out that really, really impressed me were Luca by Dan Romer and Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway by Dominic Lewis. Now, Luca being good doesn't surprise me. Dan Romer is a really, really talented composer. He did great work on Wendy, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and quite a few more. This is a really sweet score that's full of hope and makes your heart sing without ever being too saccharine or over-the-top sweet. It strikes a balance that's very, very difficult and that, frankly, not a lot of these types of scores are able to hit. One of the great parts about it is I think it's really good igniting that feeling of childhood of the, the possibility and the imagination. Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, this just blew my mind. And maybe part of it is judging something from first impressions. I just assumed that this was a, not a cheap cash grab film that really wouldn't have a lot of thought or effort put into it. But the score is great. It's a lot of fun, but it also takes itself fairly seriously, although not too seriously. And it really respects its audience. It doesn't treat children like children. It treats them like adults. It's a really dynamic orchestral score, full of changes in melody, highly layered, quite complex. It's energetic and tense, but it's also silly and lighthearted. And I just can't say enough how much I enjoyed it, both from the sense that it's a good score, but also that sense of surprise of having unfairly, I'll say, low expectations and being blown away. On a completely different note was False Positive by Yair Elazar Glotman and Lucy Railton. Now, Glotman's name might sound a little familiar because he had actually co-composed Last and First Men with Johan Johansson. Similar to that score, this is a really, really droning release. It's about a half hour, so even if it isn't your style, I recommend checking it out. It's quick, it won't take a ton of time, but it's full of this rumbling cello and contrabass that you can feel deep inside of you. It's like an arm reaching into your throat, down into your guts, and just grabbing on. It rumbles and resonates and just shakes you. And so it has me quite excited for the film as well. It's a very interesting pairing with Railton, my understanding, being an accomplished cellist. I've quite enjoyed this growth of droning cello-based scores that 
obviously have been around for a while, but I think really entered the public eye with the release of Hilary Guthnodotter's score for Joker. Really one of the best examples of it, and I'm thinking, at least, I'm hoping, it's created a bit of a sub-sub-genre in film music. A lot of people hate that style, but I'm a huge fan. And one other score that I really liked, and frankly there's way too many to cover, it would take me hours, and I don't think everybody wants to hear that, is Non-Citizens by Leon Gervich. Back in 2019, Leon released Noah Land, which was basically a piano-based score. It's really, really lovely to hear. Quite somber and sorrowful, but also very beautiful. And Non-Citizens feels like an evolution of that. In addition to the piano, he's now added cello and like an effects-laden Central African percussion sprinkled throughout. It's a documentary about Central African migrants trying to travel to Europe. It's really beautiful and reflective, and you can feel the the plight and the hope and the hopelessness and just how fraught this journey will be. But it's also quite eerie, and I think that eeriness and unsettling nature amplifies the feeling of fret and woe that is throughout this score. Now, like I said, there were actually just so many scores released during these three periods that I really, really liked, as well as other notable scores that maybe I didn't like as much, but were still worth mentioning. There frankly just isn't enough time. I mean, you have A Quiet Place Part Two by Marco Beltrami, The Conjuring Three by Joseph Bashara, Oxygen by Rob, who's a great, great composer, ton of great synth work, particularly in horror, both in the US and in France, and Cruella by Nicholas Pratel, as well as his Underground Railroad scores. I think he's released three volumes so far. You have Emily and the Magical Journey by Joe Kramer, which sees Joe continuing to have a really strong output in the more independent scene. And one that I really liked was Sam and Maddie Make a Zombie Movie by Joe Buzzle. It's almost a really light-hearted punk rock pop punk score, and uh, it just makes you feel so good to listen to. Even just listing these off is barely scratching the surface of the many good scores that were released during this time. I have a couple articles covering more of them and going more in-depth for April and May. Hope to have the June one out pretty soon, so that will give you a little bit more information and show you a few more scores, but we're spoiled. There are just too many to cover, both notable ones and great ones, and while I'd love to be an exhaustive resource for everything worth listening to or everything notable, it's simply not possible. Which, in one sense, is too bad, but in the other sense, it's just great. I feel so spoiled and so lucky to have such a sheer, overwhelming amount of great music to listen to. Frankly, we should all feel lucky. As I said, interviews will be starting back up either in late July, early August. Ton of great names. In fact, I have so many tentatively set up for the moment that I might do a couple weekly releases just to get them out the door and so I don't have a massive stockpile. We'll see. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope that there are a few scores on here that pique your interest, that you check out and that you like. If so, always let me know. And again, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, follow along on your podcast streaming service of choice, and I'll talk to you hopefully in less than a month.